this episode of Justice in Motion, we are discussing the communal power of the cinematic experience. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to Justice in Motion, the social justice film report. I'm your host, Daniel Swan. Well, my goodness, I don't know about you guys, but I am feeling excited. More than that, actually, I'm feeling exuberant. Now, as an Englishman, it actually takes quite a lot to inflame my exuberance, but this month has got me there, and my excitement is threefold. Number one, it's June. June is Pride Month, the time when the LGBTQIA community and their allies celebrate courage, celebrate love, and celebrate being yourself no matter what. That's a thing to be excited about. It's also the time when many corporations change their Twitter picture to a rainbow version of their logo. Thanks, AT&T! Secondly, I'm excited because we here at the Social Justice Film Institute have announced today our festival dates. So if you're wondering what you're doing between October the 7th and October the 17th of this year, 2021, I am very happy to inform you that you will be watching films with the Social Justice Film Festival between October 7th and October 17th. It's happening, you guys. It's official. And finally, I'm excited because this past Sunday, I was lucky enough to receive vaccine number two, baby, in my non-burrito-holding arm. Which means that I am mere weeks away from being as fully vaccinated as I can be at the moment. Which means that I'm mere weeks away plus one day from going to the cinema again, in person, for the first time in well over a year. Oh, I've missed it, guys. I've really missed it. I've missed the smells. I've missed the sounds. I've even missed my feet kind of sticking to the floor. I've missed going to the cinema so much that I don't really care what I see for the first time back. It could be utter tosh, and I would still have an incredible time, which speaks, I think, to the power of the cinematic experience. And it's that power that we are speaking about here today. We're very lucky to welcome back to the podcast Professor John Trafton from Seattle University to discuss ostensibly the social importance of cinema, but our conversation branched off a little bit to take in 16th century panoramic paintings, communal peeing during Aliens, and the link between Kevin Smith and Tommy Wiseau. But John, rebel that he is, began with a first for this podcast of asking me your humble fabulist, a question. And my ego prevents me from starting anywhere but there. So here is a discussion with John Trafton, film professor and general cinematic clever clogs. I hope you enjoy it. Maybe I could just start by uh, asking you if you can recall like uh, some of your favorite uh, film experiences, like what have been some of your favorite cinema experiences okay okay um for me i mean in all honesty when i think of some of my favorite film experiences they tend to be in the realm of the marvel cinematic universe i'm one of those people 
who I, I distinctly remember uh, forcing my wife to take a day off work to go and watch the first Avengers film at 10 a.m. for the first screening of the day. Uh, and it was, I think, really one of the first instances that she really got a look at the man that she'd married because it was, it was me and all these other slightly too hairy, slightly too sweaty men uh, on a Friday morning queuing up outside the cinema at 10 a.m. because we were so desperate. She was like, oh, my God, what am I doing here? Um, so that was a big one. But then in terms of, I don't know, audience reactions, again, it would, yeah, it would have to be um, Avengers Endgame. It, would, it had been built, you know, it's this cinematic event that's been built up to for, what, over 10 years. Um, and I, yeah, uh, I was in tears for much of it. I was, um, there were sounds that I was making whilst watching it that I was not in charge of. And certain noises just came out of me. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it felt, I don't know, it's the, it's the joy of a, a cinematic experience of, of this kind of communal emotional catharsis almost of just so many people gathered in one space emoting together and 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 just being in a place where their emotions are being drawn out and where it's just fine to just let them out is yeah wonderful wonderful experiences yeah uh it, it reminds it kind of reminds me of um one of mine and this Lovely. was uh, i think it's like number one on my list of uh if i could go see any film uh, in the theater for the first time again. Yes. Uh, it would be uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. I saw that uh, at uh, this, and I, I forget the actual name of the theater. It was a theater in Edinburgh and it was uh, uh, in, there was like a, a bowling alley like attached to it. I think it was called Cine World, but it was like an actual IMAX. Oh, wow. Uh, Lovely. Theater. And uh, I, and just sort of, you, you know, you get like really, really sort of overwhelmed by these images because they're, they're not only large, but like they're, they're bigger than, than you. There, there's like, uh, there's, uh, there was a song uh, I remember from the nineties that the uh, parody singer Weird Al Yankovic did. Uh, it's called like Frank's uh, 10,000 inch TV. And it was uh, one of the lyrics is uh, Robert De Niro's mole has got to be 10 feet wide. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and you, you think about that. It's like, yeah, there's definitely some truth to that. You know, you yeah. think about, you know, when, when people cried on screen, you know, just how many feet did that tear fall? And, <laughs> that's, yeah. That's lovely to think. Yeah, of. yeah. exactly. And uh, you know, just a, uh, you 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 watch something like Blade Runner on the big screen, you know, you get the big eye and the Voight comp test. You know, just like it fills up the whole entire screen, and it it brings you into it. And there's this concept that you get in um, the in literature. You know, it's it's, a, it's commonly affiliated with Gothic literature, but uh, you look you can find it in paintings around like the early 19th century, late 18th century. This concept of the sublime, where you don't you just feel your whole the whole sensoria just feels overwhelmed by uh this intense rush of emotions you know and you almost sort of swoon over it i'm reading a book right now about um the naturalist alexander von humboldt and he talks about uh how like in the early 19th century he climbed to the top of mount chimborazo in uh what is now modern day ecuador and it's like he's like above the clouds and he sees he, what he describes as 
you see how the world is connected and how the earth is connected. And I just think, yes, that's the sublime. That is uh, cinema on a big screen as well. You know, all the pieces of the cinematic apparatus are, you see them all working and operating in full force because they're all writ large. Yeah, that's interesting. So the idea that, that the sheer scale of the cinematic image and, you know, you mentioned Christopher Nolan, who is a director who famously is in love with big images and, you know, pit, you know, petitions very hard to get to film on IMAX and he wants his images to be as big as they can be, that that in and of itself, regardless of what the image might be almost, is is yeah, creates that connection between a group of people. That's really interesting. Yeah, like when he did uh, the 60 year anniversary restoration project of uh, Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yes. Uh, that came as no surprise to me yeah. that uh, Christopher Nolan was so passionately involved in this project. And, and I had seen uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey in 70 millimeter uh, a few months earlier. Oh, and, wow. you know, it was almost like seeing a film that I had never seen before, even though it's a film that on average I had seen once a year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to get that extra kind of that extra little degree of detail, the extra little degree of uh, yeah scale, I suppose, just, uh, yeah, kind of gives you that, that, that different kind of feeling, that different sensation. And so, so we've got this idea of, seeing things big, seeing the, the scale of things, bringing people together, but in it, from, a, from a more kind of, and obviously the, there's a kind of a social component to that, but from the, you know, from the point of view of the social justice film festival, point of view of social justice film in general, why would that be, why is that so important? It's important because Film was born as um, a communal experience mm -hmm. rather than uh, a solitary experience. You know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not trying to. And by the way, just for the listeners out there, I'm not. I'm not denigrating. You know, the you know, stay at home in your pajamas. You know, and, <laughs> you know, on a rain, on a rainy day. You know, Lord knows. You know, I do that plenty. But you live in uh, Seattle. It, you don't really have much of a choice. <laughs> right, I know. And, uh, and this and this comes from theater traditions. You know, this comes from uh, there's uh, a set of like seats. You know, like up in the you know heights of like a theater. You know, in an opera house, they're known as uh, the gods uh, in yes. French. Uh, they call it paradis. So it literally paradise. Uh, and it's like was a section where uh, you had where they, they were reserved for like working class people to come and see uh, opera and theater. And they could really react viscerally uh, in real time to what was taking place on the stage. And yeah. even before that, you have uh, in uh, throughout Europe, you had these large scale panorama paintings that would be wrapped around these circular domes that were intended as immersive experiences for people to uh, go in and experience. And they would even, some, some of them would even have signs, you know, like warning 
uh, children and pregnant women to uh, enter at your own risk because it would be such an overwhelming wow. uh, experience. Uh, sometimes, you know, they would, you know, the paintings would be in motion. They'd be like an or, uh, a band or, you know, or a small orchestra playing along. So this was, it was always intended to be not just an immersive experience, but a like a full on uh, communal experience. You even go outside of uh, the Europe or the Western theaters and you find uh, in Japan uh, screen paintings and India you'd have like scroll paintings that uh, were both geared towards education uh, and storytelling. And they were intended not as something that you read but something as you experience. You walk from one end to another and you, know, you still kind of like in, in my own library uh, at Seattle University, there is one. Uh, is well that uh, students are listening go check it out it's fantastic but <laughs> this is really kind of the origin of it of it all you know more than 200 years or more before cinema was created so it's really just sort of all about this communal uh, experience you you're not isolated you're not alienated you know some of the you know you you read you know any analysis of what's going on uh in the united states what's going on in the uk and what's going on elsewhere uh in europe and in uh, other places and, you know you hear the word divided country alienated country uh atomatized you know all these other words they kind of get thrown around in the mix yet the role that cinema plays and it is like sort of forging, you know, this sense of uh, community and it's linked to how film works uh, as a machine for empathy. I mean, we can think of all these different films that allow you to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. We can name like at least five off the top that just immediately spring to mind. But also in addition to that, Film is all about those little in-between moments in life, those little invisible, ineffable things that we normally don't think about, but that connect us to people that we wouldn't normally uh, suspect that we would be connected to. And not only at, as a theatrical experience, not only do we share those feelings together with other audience members that we've never met and probably will never ever meet again, they're writ large. That's really interesting. So, so we've so we've got kind of two ideas there. The idea that, firstly, obviously, you know, depending on the content of the film, you, as you say, so many films that you watch and you kind of realize, okay, so this is it's set in a different place in the world. It's it's set even could be in the same kind of vicinity as where you live, but just in a wildly different person's life, and and it gives you that kind of as you say, it's an empathy machine. It gives you that insight into somebody else's life. So you've got that side of things. But then with what you were saying before about the idea of the, you know, that cinema is just the latest in a long line of, of communal experiences, even if it's not based on the film that you're actually watching, just the, the very act of sitting in a room and experiencing the same thing as other people will will put you within that community much more keenly you'll feel that connection with the people that you're in the cinema with but the idea that the very act of watching a film 
creates that empathy with the people that you're watching the film with is, is uh, yeah, that's really, really interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example of a little experiment that I did that uh, with a really, really base human emotion, base human emotion, uh, when you got to go, you got to go. You get up, <laughs> you, you use the restroom and then come back. So I did a little experiment uh, in October of 2017. I went to the Seattle Cinerama, which uh, unfortunately is uh, now no more. Uh, hopefully, you know, it's such a tragedy. Uh, hopefully it'll see the light of day, you know, sometime in the near future. Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah. Fingers crossed. But uh, back then, you know, it was a 70 millimeter film festival. And I went and saw uh, James Cameron's Aliens. It was not shot in 70 millimeter. It was shot in just not even super 35 millimeter. It was shot just standard 35 millimeter. So it was a blow up, but what okay. a blow up. <laughs> and, you know, just... Um, without getting into spoilers for your listeners who haven't seen the film, you know, there's a moment kind of about an hour, hour and 15 minutes into the film where uh, the Marines are attacked by uh, a swarm of aliens and uh, uh, Ripley played by Sigourney Weaver has to come to the rescue. And there's a, and then they manage to escape. And there's a moment where, you know, she's driving like this, um, all-terrain vehicle and uh michael bean's character is telling her okay we're cleared ease down ease down and i, I thought and i just before that scene came about i, I thought okay i'm going to make a prediction here i'm going to predict that about uh about a third or a quarter of the audience are going to stand up just right after that moment <laughs> and that is their cue to you know hit the restroom uh, because they'll be responding to a set of nonverbal cues you know that they yeah. that they are immersed in their experience they're they're like okay the film itself is now taking a breather and so shall I that's so interesting that's I don't know it's like like they talk about with close up magic and stuff the idea of controlling people's attention of like the more they have to focus on one thing then when you release that the more they kind of step away from it and allows you to do other things that's really that's so, and so funny that and, and and powerful and almost kind of profound the idea of watching something it's just it's just flickering images on a screen and yet that can create this very palpable physiological response in you and, and the idea that like you say lots of different people from you know I'm sure many different walks of life have that same experience there's yeah I think there's something something quite profound in that that's really I wonder how many other uh, how many other kind of type of physiological uh yeah responses that you could get from an audience I'm sure a lot of filmmakers have tried in the past yeah I, I mean occasionally I, I when screening films in class you know, I'd be making notes, you know, on the film, you know, maybe for things, you know, that I want to address or pick up on, you know, if like there's anything, you know, that I didn't get in the previous lecture about the film that I want to like return to, I'm making notes. But every once in a while, you know, I am kind of looking over at my students to kind of see what their reactions are to certain scenes and making notes of, you know, what they're, how they're reacting and how they're responding to images and sound as part of a language of emotion and they're all together doing it that's and, and I, I've noticed a, uh, a little bit of a difference this time during COVID 
as opposed to before. Uh, there'd be films that I would be uh, having as the quote-unquote screening films, if you can call them that, sure. uh, or the class that they would stream through our Canvas platform, and then they would uh, write a response on a discussion thread and respond to you know, at least two of your fellow classmates' uh, responses. And I noticed that although like the general thrust of the opinions and responses of a film viewed streaming during the pandemic was kind of similar to when I screened the same film in person pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. I noticed some slight variations. So I can definitely say, uh, number one, uh, there is uh, there definitely is a difference uh, mm -hmm. between solitary viewing and viewing as a communal experience experience is a shared emotional experience and second my students if you're listening yes i am watching you, as you <laughs> john never stops watching he is always <laughs> observing it's like i got a feeling somebody <laughs> it is like the truman show it's exactly like the truman show he's he's the christoph in the clouds with his backwards kangol cap and his little his little Ed Harris glasses. Um, it is, yeah, it is very interesting and and kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we that we debate in the Social Justice Film Institute in terms of the films that we screen, and we're going through it at the moment. We're going, through, you know, um, having watched a lot of films when when we're kind of getting ready to program them for for this year's uh, festival. The idea oh. of what make what makes a social justice film, how social justicey does a social justice film have to be? And it's it's quite interesting what you're saying because it would suggest that when a film is watched with an audience, a film is watched live, perhaps the social justice content could be a little bit lower. It could be a little uh, more thematic rather than, you know, oblique. And the idea that just the act of watching it in in a communal environment would up the kind of social justice aspect of it just because you're watching it in a group. Would you agree with that? Oh, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The question that I get sometimes is sort of, um, you know, you, you kind of used, I guess, sort of, a, you know, may, maybe perhaps this is a Daniel coinage, but social justice, you know, it's like how much <laughs> too much in one film. And I say, it's not a question about whether or not it's too much or too little. It's sort of like, how is it deployed? And is it clear that the filmmaker uh, cares deeply about uh, their audience, their intended audience, uh, and also for the craft and how it's uh, deployed? Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm judging um, a film festival right now at the wow. moment. Some films that have strong social justice themes, but it's kind of you are it's kind of clear that the filmmakers really just sort of like going through the motions, you know, they're just like okay. just phoning it in. And you know, I could see there's a plot twist that you know you can see a mile away. <laughs> uh, and then there's other films where you become so you don't feel the the thematic content and the social justice themes right away, straight away. You just feel drawn in by, you know, powerful meditative cinema. And then 
when it happens, you when the when you you're confronted with the elements of social justice and uh, progressive action, you just feel like you got you know hit by a truck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I yeah, I'm often a big fan of yeah those ones where it's it's especially in the, the kind of the narrative films that we get where it's not necessarily you know first five minutes hit you over the head of like oh this is a social justice film look at this social justice issue isn't this the most terrible thing in the world when yeah. it's when it's a bit more i mean there's it, it, a, a kubrick quote that i will um poorly paraphrase but something about that people will respond to an idea much more if you lead them to it as opposed to you tell them it like yes. it, if, if you kind of give them if you show them the path to get to it themselves then that idea is going to latch into their head a, a, a lot more powerfully yeah one of the things that uh, i've been working on very recently with uh, uh a few of my colleagues is this idea of cinema having like these cartographic qualities okay. where you uh mentally it allows you to mentally map out space okay. and that space could be either a physical location, like the Overlook Hotel in The Shining, <laughs> or it can be an idea, you know, or it can be a state of mind, like something, you know, out of a Terrence Malick film, yeah. you know, or it could be, you know, a metaphysical idea such as The Force. Uh, so, you know, it's like, it, you know, so what you're describing, you know, is I think very, very much uh, in line with that. And it's, it's an idea that, you know, I don't have... Um, a definitive take on it or a definitive uh, framework fleshed out because I'm still kind of really, really diving into this idea and really kind of exploring its possibilities and its potentials. But, you know, it's always really worth thinking about that. And for the listeners out there, you know, for sure, when you approach uh, films, whether it's like a genre film, like a horror film or sci-fi film, or even something, you know, a little bit more uh, offbeat, uh, think about, you know, what your mind is doing and what is being mapped out by your mind. And again, it's your mind responding to these nonverbal cues that cinema is putting in front of you. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, as we as we're in this time now where cinemas are maybe starting, starting to open a bit more and as more people are getting vaccinated, that kind of whole thing is opening up a bit more. Uh, I mean, firstly... Have, have you been this year to to a kind of a, a cinema? Have you been able to to go yet? Or is that still on the to-do list for you? Not yet. Uh, not I, yet. I, I, yeah, I'm afraid not yet. Um, it, it's, it's been a little bit of a busy start. Uh, I, I can definitely see that happening in the very near future. Yes. Uh, I, I imagine if, you know, I, as, as somebody who's now fully vaccinated and uh, who is... Um, watching trends going in what looked like to be a positive direction, you know, I would definitely like to get out to uh, a film uh, and at some point, you know, in the summer. I mean, the last film that I saw uh, in the cinema was uh, at, at the Cinerama about like a, a month before it closed and it was about uh, uh, the Safdie Brothers Uncut Gems for the second time. Oh, wow. Uh, wow, yeah. yeah. So that so that's like you know February 2020. So you know I'm it's it's kind of high time that I do that right now. And of course we've got a lot coming in the fall. But there is you know obviously a little bit uh, some challenges that I think 
lie ahead. And this is, I think, where um, people such as yourself and the film festival uh, and other film festivals around, I think, play a crucial role in really resuscitating uh, cinematic experiences, but also in really kind of carving out kind of a new idea of what a cinematic experience means. And I think one, one example of, uh, that I can see, and apologies because I'm kind of dating this podcast, but uh, <laughs> this morning, you know, of course, uh, we read uh, in New York Times and elsewhere that uh, Amazon uh, just purchased uh, MGM. Yes. Uh, eight point, I believe it was like an $8.5 billion uh, deal. You know, they get uh, a whole host of other uh, film franchises, including James Bond, although the Brockley family still has control over the direction that it goes. You know, so so that that was kind of a reminder of some of the challenges, which is that, really the, the films that make it, that actually make it to the cinema and do well uh, is only a small fraction of the films that are made uh, every year. And, and also, you know, when you have like, you know, giant corporations that run not only major cinema th- uh, chains, and that's something that goes back, you know, far back even to classic Hollywood, you know, film cinema, you know, with um, uh, block booking and, uh, uh, studios that would actually own theater chains. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you, you would have essentially where, because our, our, so for so long, our world was dominated by um, going to the theater, uh, may, you know, corporate cinema, Hollywood cinema would really kind of determine uh, what films got seen and what types of films were deserving of our attention. Uh, and, you know, we kind of, and the pandemic really kind of threw a wrench in that model with everyone staying at home and watching streaming stuff. Mm. So as we're transitioning back to the theatrical experience, that's kind of something that we would probably do well to take with us, which is creating like sort of a new type of uh, uh, filmmaking to cinema uh, experience and I've always kind of toyed around with this idea you know when I was in, back in college you know and even like you know up until you know my late 20s and the 30s you know I would go and see um, live music but it always sort of tended towards you know the more independent you know underground indie punk art you know rock yeah. which would often play like in small venues you know, some cases even in bars. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, they'd have like, you know, the, the guy at the merch booth, you know, you'd buy like the CD and the T-shirt, you know, uh, in between acts. Yeah. And, you know, I thought to myself, and I used to always think to myself back then, well, why not do this, you know, with, with film? You know, why can't, you know, instead of re- replace music with uh, film and now that is kind of happening. That is, you know, I've seen. I, I there's been. I've known people that have uh, actually developed a fan base for their film online and through podcasting, and then taken the film on tour. And then people like who are major patrons of the film, they get into like they get VIP screenings of the film and a T-shirt. Yes. And you know, so why not? You know, have like venues like screen 
independent films made by local artists uh, and, you know, also sell beer and pizza. As yeah. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you do wonder with, yeah, like you say, with Amazon buying MGM and obviously Disney is buying everyone else seemingly um, that, yeah, ending up with, I don't know, any, any number of industries like the eyeglasses industry is like, oh, there's all these different companies, but they're all really owned by three. To, you've got three options of where you want to go. Yeah. But that, that, that can't be good for the long term, for, for kind of, yeah, these smaller films. So, yeah, you wonder whether there does need to be more of a more of an effort made into to kind of trying to diversify what they do. And I, I know, I mean, he's not small time necessarily, but I know Kevin Smith has had some joy from taking yes. his films out on the road. And so the, it's kind of in a, in a similar way to social justice film industry where you get, you get to watch the film. Of course, you get to watch the film, but then also he's there and you, you get a and a afterwards and it becomes like an evening's entertainment, not just, hey, buy a ticket to go and see this film that you could see online as well. So that it, more effort is made to make it an event, I suppose. Yeah. I, I just, for the record, I love Kevin. I mean, <laughs> you know, his, some of his films, you know, may not be, you know, some of the greatest or like my favorite, you know, ever yeah. made, but uh you know, I could listen to that man talk for hours and you just like, you know, he is an example of what Paul Schrader used to talk about this all the time. You know, and he talked about cinema is changing this idea that was popular during the 20s and again in the 40s, this idea of camera stilo where, okay. you know, which is French for camera pin. Uh, you just make a film just like a poem for no intended audience and of course it's really hard to do that because to make films you know cost money so you need to have an audience you know in order to do it and a lot of I think a lot of the interesting experimentations around film and exhibition practices have been attempts at kind of reaching for this idea of camera stilo they're never going to attain it perfectly Mm -hmm. but you know they're trying to replicate it in their own way and kevin with like like his uh smodcast and Mm -hmm. uh and in what in what he did with films like red state and uh the recent jay and silent bob movie that he did uh is an example of that and you know even kind of keeping things going through the pandemic uh tommy wiseau (laughs) yes as as ridiculous as that may sound you know i think he is a really really good example of uh of someone trying to replicate um you know camera stilo some people may argue that uh you know he's just he's just a wealthy guy with mysterious money that you know is like you know turning lemons into lemonade there is that (laughs) for sure there's that and i I think you know part of uh revitalizing the theatrical experience or rather re-envisioning it anew Mm -hmm. is going to involve you know an engagement with that on some level yeah and then and that kind of nicely brings us back around to to it being a, a kind of a communal experience because you you have this idea of i mean you you see it all the time the these communities that grow up online around yeah. uh, a video game or a, a filmmaker or whoever it might be and then once and that's lovely and that's wonderful but then once that comes into the real world and there is a screening that people can go to and there's people that have spoke you know 
spoken to each other online for three or four years, but never, and then they're meeting for the first time in a real, and so then that brings, that's another kind of element of, of filmmaking, potentially bringing people together and, and creating that, that kind of sense of community um, that you don't necessarily get with just, you know, a, a streaming service where you're just watching in isolation. Um, so yeah. I'd like, I'd like to think that we, we planned this to bring it round full circle. Um, uh, and if anyone asks, yes, we definitely planned all of this to get round to the, the central idea back again of, of, yeah, cinema creating this, this sense of empathy, both with the people on the screen, but also with the people that you're watching it with. The thing that excites me just as much as seeing the festival this fall, um, have screenings, and bringing people together yet again. Like what excites me just as much as, as that is this idea that there's gonna be two people that are going to, that have never met before, don't know each other. They may meet at the screening, chat, find out that they have, you know, a lot of things in common. You know, you're a cool person. I think you're a cool person. <laughs> Let, let's make a film together and, you know, next year it'll be us on screen. Oh my and God. That idea excites me. Yeah. I mean, the idea of, yeah. I'd, <laughs> if somebody said in their submission thing, oh, hey, we made this film after meeting at the festival last year. I'm, the film could be of any quality and we would have to program it. We wouldn't have a choice at that point. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, let, let, don't get me wrong. I mean, you do the film does have to be good. You know, you do have to kind of know what you're doing. <laughs> but, you know, still like, you know, assuming that that is the case, you know, it's like, wouldn't that be something? Yeah, that'd be absolutely amazing. Um, so to, to, to kind of, yeah, bring this, uh, uh, bring this conversation to, to a close, because like I said, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You're uh, obviously a very uh, busy chap. But uh, I mentioned some of the uh, some of my favourite um, cinematic experiences of uh, communal cinematic experiences. Uh, I'll, I'll throw the question back to you. What, what are some of the, the 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 fondest memories I think that you have of watching films communally in a cinema or in another space? Yeah, uh, one of them was um, yeah, one of them was the aforementioned uh, seventy millimeter festival where I watched two thousand one Space Odyssey. That sounds pretty cool which included an intermission, which uh, the Cinerama respected. Lovely. Uh, yeah, I would say apart from that, I'll give you two. Um, one was uh, in a haunted cathedral in Scotland, and it was <laughs> a screening of uh, Murnau's Nosferatu. Oh, my God. A, a, um, uh, an organ player. Uh, and then the other, another one was at uh, the American uh, Cinematheque in Los Angeles, and it was uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Oh wow! With the yeah, I imagine getting that that Morricone score blasted out at you on a big screen that would be uh, quite an experience. Yeah, I really do not remember what the print was like, uh, what gauge it was, but yeah, those images are burned into my head. Forever. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. When, when the image is so big that it, no matter how tightly Clint Eastwood squints his eyes, you can still see his eyes. That's when you know it's a big image. He, yes. he can't even squint his way out of that one. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. um, what well, John, uh, it's always a pleasure um, having you on the podcast. You are uh, seemingly a, a limitless font 
uh, of information and knowledge about uh, cinema. I look forward to, to having you on again to, to try and reach the bottom of the well of what you know about cinema. I don't think we're going to get there, but I'm going to enjoy um, having a try. Thank uh, you. It's, yeah, so much fun. And uh, yeah, we look forward to having you on again. And, and we look forward to the time when we can be in a cinema again. Yes. My goodness. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. You take care. And there we go. Isn't he just an interesting man with an interesting brain? Isn't he just... Uh, it's always a joy getting to speak to John. I can't wait to welcome him back to the podcast again uh, in the not-too-distant future. Thank you very much, John. Uh, and thank you very much uh, for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you found us so you don't miss any future episodes. Um, I hope you have a wonderfully exuberant Pride Month. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if you're looking for some film suggestions, uh, some personal favourites of mine that I've watched over the past few years would be uh, Tangerine a film from uh, 2015, uh, which is really energetic, really powerful, really funny as well. I, I wasn't expecting it to be as funny as it was, but it, it, it really cracked me up. Um, La La Land, uh, sorry, Moonlight, uh, which is obviously heartbreaking uh, and profound. If you haven't seen it, you really owe it to yourself to see that film. Um, and if I may direct you to a UK film, uh, I think it would be Pride. Uh, from 2014, which tells a, a really nice, heartwarming, based on actual events uh, story from the 1980s. So it gives you a little bit of uh, that LGBTQ history lesson, uh, which is always good. A great cast in that one as well. Heck of a cast. Uh, Hot Priest from Fleabag, McNulty from The Wire, and Bill Nye from, you know, Bill Nye. So give it a watch. Uh, a great place to watch some new LGBTQIA plus films is Queer Pride. Uh, this is a fantastic event, a film festival that's being run by our good friends at Three Dollar Bill Cinema that's coming up. Uh, there's shorts, there's features, uh, it's running from June 11th to June 21st, so it's coming up this month. Uh, and the best thing is, it's virtual, so anybody across America can get involved and watch some incredible films. All of the details can be found at their website, $3BillCinema.org, so make sure you check it out. Uh, and then looking at their website, you'll also see, no doubt, that they've got an awesome film festival coming up in October as well. The Seattle Queer Film Festival, running October 14th to the 24th. Uh, so if you're interested in queer film at all, $3 Bill Cinema really are the people to get to know. But wait, I hear you cry. Isn't there another great film festival taking place in October? Well, indeed there is. Your memory serves you well. The Social Justice Film Festival will be running October the 7th to October the 17th, which means, yes, there will be some crossover with the Seattle Queer Film Festival. You are going to be so spoiled for choice for great films to watch in October, you lucky scamps. So until next time, watch movies, be fair to each other, and I'll speak to you soon. This episode of Justice in Motion was written by Daniel Swan and was a production of the Social Justice Film Institute. Thank you.